0: Good morning. I am so glad that you could be with us at the Central Church of the Nazarene. For the closing chapters of King David's life, we're looking at the first two chapters of 1 Kings. And he's about ready to, to, to die. And David's succession plan uh, was that Solomon, his son, would, would take over the throne. That was his plan. But you know the old cliche about the best laid plans of mice and men. Well, that was sort of the story. In 1 Kings chapter 1, you can read about how one of David's other sons, a guy by the name of Adonijah, decided that he should be king. He was David's fourth son. His three older brothers had died. It made sense to him in his mind that he should be the next king. That's how it usually works. Of course, David had other plans. So in chapter 1, it's kind of a messy story. Adonijah uh, 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 forms really what we would call a coup. And and he gets a, a priest to anoint him as king. He gets a military leader, Joab, to, to come alongside him. He has this coronation, a big feast to follow where he does not invite Solomon or Bathsheba or Nathan, the, the true prophet of God, or, or Benaiah, one of, of, of David's military leaders. And he names himself king. Well, it's a long story. You can read all about it in 1 Kings. In, in chapter 2, uh, David has his way. And Solomon becomes king and is handed over the throne. And really chapter 2 of First Kings is David giving a, 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 a charge to Solomon. Telling him it's as kind of his last will and testament, if you will. He's telling him the people he needs to avoid, the people he needs to watch out for, the people he needs to keep an eye on, that sort of thing. And, and the story ends with those words in verses 10 through 12. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned for 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, year, 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. Right, so David has died. That's the end. The king is dead. Long live the new king, Solomon. And, and this is, is not a news flash, I suppose, but all of us, like King David, are going to die one day. Now, maybe we'll have a chance to say final words like David did to Solomon. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll have a chance to get our affairs in order. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll have a chance to think about exactly what we want to do, you know, and we'll get a will made up and we'll prepare it. You should do that and decide who gets what or whatever you're going to do. Maybe we won't. Maybe your family and friends will be near you when you receive your, your last final breaths. Maybe they won't. But we all know this. Every single one of us has an expiration date. This week, Carla was making me some candy, and she got out, she was getting out all the ingredients, and she got out the caro syrup. Now, I don't even know what caro syrup does, but that was one of the ingredients in the, in the candy, and she got it out, and she started putting all the ingredients together, and somewhere along the line, before she actually made the candy, she thought, you know, that caro syrup has been in our cupboard for a long time. I wonder what the expiration date is on it. And she looked at the bottle, and the expiration date was, was 2015, almost four years ago. Now, which tells you how long it's been since she's made me candy. I think that's the one lesson we need to learn. But the other lesson, thankfully, she decided, I don't know what bad caro syrup does to a guy. I don't know what it, ta- I don't know what it does anyway, but I sure don't know what it does when it's expired, and so she decided she better not use that carol syrup and had to go to the store and start all over and get the new caro syrup and all the rest. Now, the point I'm trying to make is that all of us have an expiration date. It's not stamped on us like like the carol syrup. There's not a specific day that you can look to and say, all right, that's gonna be my, my expiration date. We're not given that. In fact, there's no guarantees in this old world. This week, I attended a funeral for a lady who was was 99 years old, only two months shy of being 100. Yesterday, a friend of mine conducted a funeral service for a girl who was 18 years old, who had gotten uh, just a, 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 she was a perfectly healthy college freshman and gotten sick and and she died. There's no guarantees in this old world. The one thing that we do know is that all of us have an expiration date. And the truth of the matter is that God has placed in us uh, 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 A sixth sense, if you will, Uh, 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 a sense that knowing that life does not end at the grave. You and I know better than that. There's more to this old life than this old world. The author of Ecclesiastes, David's successor, Solomon, he put it this way. God has planted eternity in the human heart. That's our word for today, eternity. God has planted eternity in the human heart. If you were to go back in time, back 4,000 years, back before Solomon or David, all the way back to Egypt, you would find an Egyptian culture that was made up of people who not only believed in the afterlife, but were obsessed with the afterlife. Most Egyptians began preparing for the next life before they were in midlife. And you've seen pictures of the great pyramids in the Egyptian desert. Really, they were nothing more than, than, than massive tombs for the pharaohs. Someone estimated that it took 100,000 workers 40 years to build Pharaoh's pyramids, those tombs. And you can't help but ask yourself, why? Why in the world? Why would they go to so much trouble? And the answer is, is simply Egyptians understood full well that they were going to spend a whole lot more time in the afterlife than they were in this old life, so they better prepare for it. Now, granted, I'll give you their understanding of the afterlife and their understanding of what took place was, was, was skewed for sure and off base. But the point I'm trying to make is that God had planned eternity in their hearts. And they knew that there was more to this old life than just living on this old earth. Move with me to the present day. Actually, it was several years ago now. I was visiting my folks. Um, they lived, you know, outside of Detroit in Garden City and I was visiting them. It may have been Thanksgiving. I think it was Thanksgiving. And we went to the mall that was closest to their house, Westland Shopping Mall in Westland, Michigan. And while we were there, you know, here every now and then in Flint, I'll run into somebody that I maybe went to high school with. But when I was down there, uh, I'd run into folks. When I'd go and visit my folks, I'd run into people that that I had gone to high school with. Well, I was at the mall and I ran into one of my best friends in high school. He was a very smart guy. In fact, I think he was a valedictorian of the class. He he uh, uh, went on. He could have gone any place to school. He went on, became an engineer. I tried to Facebook stalk him this week to see, you know, where he's at, and what he's doing. I couldn't find him, but I bumped into him at the mall, and we got talking. And he was telling me what he was doing. And eventually, he asked me what I was doing, and I said, "Well, I pastor a church." And now usually when I say that to someone And in mid-conversation Usually the cogs, if they're not a church-going person The cogs kind of work in their head And they try to think if they said something That they shouldn't have said to a preacher And you know, and they just go But my friend Harry wasn't like that He was very blunt And he looked at me and he said said, "Uh, Why in the world would you throw your life away Doing something like that? And so I talked to him a little bit I told him the, the joys of, of pastoring and helping people and, 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 and caring for people and all the things and doing what God wants me to do. And I ended that, that statement by saying, besides, I want to go to heaven one day. And you would have thought the way he looked at me like I had just stepped off the, 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 out of the funny farm. And it was like he, he had just this, this look in his, his life that's like, you, you've got to be kidding me. How absurd, how, how, how crazy, how ridiculous to not only believe in an afterlife, but to actually prepare for one. And it was then I became very much aware of how our society and our culture has changed and how we are so affected by a live-for-today mentality. The thinking that says the only thing that's important is the here and now and and whatever I get, I want it now and everything that I have and can have in life is now, now, now. Instant gratification is all that I'm concerned about. You can see that in our economics. It what drives things like Black Friday. You can have anything you want. Just sign for it on the bottom line. Credit, the 30 days will never come. Just buy anything you want. You can have it all right now. That, That type of thinking has invaded our morality Whatever feels good, do it. It doesn't matter. You can do anything you want. If it feels good, if it feels right, it's up to you. Let's just do whatever you want. There are no consequences. And that thinking has even invaded the church. Or I'll preach a message like I'm doing today on the afterlife. And, and, and people who are so affected by our culture and society in a living today mentality, I stand up and say, listen, you're all going to die one day. And you say, yawn, yawn, yawn. Yes, I know I'm going to die, but not Today. Or I'll stand before a crowd like like us and I'll say, you'll all give an account to a holy God one day. And they say, yawn, yawn. Yes, I'm going to die one day and yes, I'll give an account uh, to a holy God one day. But I'm not dying today and I'm not meeting God today. Or I stand before a crowd and say, you'll spend a whole lot more time in the afterlife than you will in this life, so you better prepare for the afterlife. And they say, yawn, yawn, yawn. Will somebody shut this guy up? I, I don't care about what's gonna happen in 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. I've got problems now. I got problems today. I need help with those. I don't wanna think about those things that are so far off. Now this sermon, I'm not gonna tell you when the end of the world is gonna be. This is not a doomsday sermon. I have no idea when Jesus is returning. But the truth of the matter is throughout history, culture after culture people have understood that the hereafter is where we're going to spend the majority of our time and we better prepare for it. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Jesus would have agreed with Solomon. Jesus spoke a lot about about the afterlife. He spoke a lot about heaven and the end times. And, And one of his most famous statements was what does it profit a man? Think. Think, Jesus said. Just think about it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world for 60, 70, 80 years, but lose his soul for all eternity? Jesus is saying, think about it. Just think about it. God has planted eternity in the human heart. There is life beyond the grave. That life extends forever and ever and ever. For all eternity, it extends which simply means we're going to spend a whole lot more time there than we are here. And the question that has to be asked, that must be asked, that is the most important question is, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know what your address will be in the afterlife? You know, the state of Michigan has a lot of funny sounding names. There's, and you can always tell if somebody's from here or not from here. You know, they'll see, see Clio and pronounce it as Cleo. Or they'll see, you know, Grand Blanc and think we're hoity-toity and say Grand Blanc. You know, they're not from here. And then, of course, there's, you know, like Ypsilanti. That just throws them totally off. Or Taquamenon Falls. They can't get that. Did you know that there's a a Podunk, Michigan? How would you like to be from there? Podunk, Michigan. And I've told you, you know, my first church was in Bad Axe, Michigan. You have to be careful how you say that or you get in trouble. There's also a Paradise, Michigan. Did you know that? Paradise, Michigan is up in the UP. Carl and I were there several years ago and there are big mosquitoes in paradise and it's no paradise, I can tell you that. And there's also, as you probably know, there's a hell, Michigan. I got a postcard from somebody from our church that said, pastor, I'm in hell, you know, from from there. But the truth of the matter is there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. And we have this life to determine where we're going to spend all of eternity Several years ago I preached a, a sermon on the reality of, of Heaven and hell and, and I talked about Much of like what I'm talking about today And, and that really that sermon was Was meant to get us To, to talk and to witness and to, and to have the Reality of heaven and hell become, become Real to us so that we would tell Our loved ones that they don't want to miss it They don't want to miss heaven That, that we have a responsibility to Tell our loved ones you don't want to miss it you see, the Bible is the authoritative voice on the afterlife. It gives us a coherent, although not always crystal clear, view of the afterlife. And even if you're not particularly religious, uh, it, it, it just rings true. It se- even if you don't like what the Bible has to say about it, it just seems to make sense. That a person like Adolf Hitler and a Billy Graham will not have the same accommodations in the afterlife, and the Bible says they probably won't. That in the end, justice will roll like a mighty river, and that God's justice will be accomplished for every single person that has ever lived. The Bible teaches that immediately after the grave, we will spend eternal life in one of two places, either heaven or hell. Those are the only two options. There's no third option. There is no, you've heard me say this before, there's no second chances. There's no makeup exams. There's no middle ground. There's no do overs. If you're a golfer, there's no mulligans. This is it. We have this life to determine where we're going to spend eternity heaven or hell. And so I'd like our remaining minutes to talk a little bit about that, talk more about heaven, really. What's heaven like? Now I'll offer this disclaimer Sometimes I say this at funerals I don't know what it'll be like to be in heaven I don't know what it's going to be like to walk on streets of gold I can't tell you how deep the crystal sea is I don't know uh, 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 any of those things Still the Bible talks a lot about heaven I remember when I was in the 6th grade I was in the 5th the or 6th grade We had the junior boys were, were uh, the angelic choir for the Christmas program now, who in their right mind would make junior boys the angelic choir in the Christmas program, I do not know. But that's what we were, and we were in a practice, the dress rehearsal, and the junior boys were on the risers, and we were doing what junior boys do. You know, we were, we were giving each other noogies and Hertz donuts, and we were bopping each other. on. The, we were anything but angelic. And the program director was pulling her hair out as we were misbehaving, and she called up to us, and, and she said something like this. She said, you boys better start acting up right because you're, this is all you're going to be doing in heaven all day long is singing in the choir. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I could think of nothing worse <laughs> than singing and, you know, wearing a dopey robe that was somebody's old bedsheet with a wire halo over my head. That was worse than sitting in the principal's office. If that's heaven, forget it. Well, we can read Scripture, and it tells us a little bit about heaven. Again, the the Bible writers had a tall order. How do you describe the indescribable? How how do you do that with, with mere words? That's a tough thing to do. The Apostle Paul wrote, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. How do you describe what no human mind could conceive? So the Bible writers, giving a glimpse into heaven try to describe the indescribable and the bible writers under the inspiration of the holy spirit have this task of of giving us a feeling of what heaven will be like but again even the most lofty words fall short in describing heaven so scripture tells us that 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 heaven will be like the the city of god or the celestial city where believers go now, don't think of city uh, as materially. Don't think of it as, you know, street signs and gutters and trash pickup on Tuesday. That's not what it's trying to say. It's saying there will be community there. A community of the redeemed. A fellowship. Of people who share a common treasure in Jesus Christ. Uninterrupted. Unstained. Pure. Loving. Trusted relationships forever doesn't that sound good don't you long for that it's been several years ago now Um, my car had some troubles and I had to take it into the car shop uh, repair shop and oh I hate doing that I hate putting money into my old junker you know you put in all this money and you drive away with the same dumb old car that you drove in there with and I hate it I hate it I hate it and so usually when I go to the repair shop I'm in a pretty lousy mood And generally, I throw a little pity party for myself because I hear the cash register ringing and I know that, you know, it's going to cost me. And so I try to find a seat in the corner where nobody's around so I can just have this little pity party about all the money I'm spending on my car. Well, several years ago, I went in and dropped my car off and went into the waiting area and it was full. It was just jam-packed. And so I was going to have to sit next to somebody. And so, so I sat next to this guy and I looked over at him and he was doing a Bible study and you know he had his bible out and he was filling in answers into this into this uh, uh, book and so i asked him i'm wanting to know how long my car is you know how long the wait is because the room was full and so but the way i asked him was how long have you been doing that bible study thinking how long have you been here doing this bible study but he thought i was asking how long have you been in the bible and so he said five years and i thought oh my land i'm never getting out of here And so I realized that we were talking about two different things. And so I said, well, what happened five years ago? And he began to tell me how five years ago, Jesus completely changed his life. And he gave a beautiful testimony of how his life had been messed up and what Jesus had done and how God had repaired so many things in his life and and how he was just so thankful. And we started talking and we were laughing and there was this common bond and the time just flew by. In an hour and a half, they came and said my car was ready. And for once, I was saying, man, I wish I had some more car problems because I wanted to hang out with that guy. He wasn't he an wasn't answer. I can't remember where he went to church. I think he was Baptist, but I, I may be wrong. But we had a common bond. there was a unity there. It was, it was really wonderful. And the Bible says that's what heaven will offer: trust-filled, transparent, deep, significant relationships forever, a closeness and a unity like we've never before experienced. Anybody interested in that? no more loneliness, no more isolation, no misunderstandings, no miscommunication, no putting your foot in your mouth and then having to go back and apologize for something stupid you said or did or anything like that. No, he said, she said. Community, togetherness, forever. Doesn't that sound good? You've heard that there'll be mansions in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. Modern versions say many rooms. I still like to say mansions instead of rooms because, you know, I don't want just a room. And so, and he's going to prepare a place for us. Now again, don't worry what your mansion's gonna look like. Who cares? Is it a room or a mansion? Don't worry. Is it a Cape Cod style? Is it a ranch style? Is it a split level mansion? I don't, the point is you'll be home. You will be home. When we moved here um, five years ago now, a little over five years ago, when we first got here, uh, we didn't have a house. We didn't find a house yet. And so some people were going south for the winter, and they let us stay in their condo very generously. They let us stay in their condo while we were looking for a house. We ended up being there five months. Marilyn Anthony was our our realtor, and she took us in in 40 homes, over 40 homes, which was less. When we moved to Kansas, we went in like... 60 homes i could have lived in 58 of those homes but that's a whole other story so we went in 40 houses, you know, and finally we put an offer on a house in Davison and had the inspection and the inspector came and he said, "Man, there's a mold convention going on in this house. I wouldn't live in this house if it was free." So we had to drop out of that and we kept looking 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 finally we found a place in Grand Blanc that was fine and so we bought that house and I remember the day that we moved our so you know, we had all our stuff in storage and I remember the day we took it all in and we were some of you helped out and we're Moving the stuff into the into the house and we had this big old armoire. It was so heavy, took four or five guys, not me, four or five strong guys, to get it in the house. And we finally got it in our bedroom and we got it in the bedroom. And Carla said, You know, I don't think I like it there. And so so those guys had to take that big heavy armoire and take it out and put it in the garage. And I think we sold it for fifty dollars in a garage sale. Ugh. And we, you know, we signed the papers, we got the keys, but it still wasn't home. In fact, I had to, I had to be in that house for a while. We had to put our junk in the cupboards and we had to hang some pictures on the wall. And I had to be there for a long time until I could get up in the middle of the night and not run into the wall when I'm going to the bathroom. And until it was finally, finally, finally a home. So much so that like, you know, two weeks ago when I was sick in Tennessee, I, I was longing to come home. And that wasn't Garden City or that wasn't Kansas City. No, that was 6415 Yaliah Court. That's where I wanted to be. Why? That's home. That's home. That's home. That's where I longed to be. And the Bible says that God is preparing a home for us, a refuge. Uh, Don't worry if it's a mansion or a house or whatever. A place of security, a place designed just for us. Some of you have heard that in heaven there are white robes. And you thought, uh, white's not my color. Or it makes me look so hefty to be in a robe. I don't want that. Don't think of it that way. The, the, the message is, is, is symbolic. It's saying that we are going to experience purity. No sin. No mistakes. No errors. A perfectly clear conscience. Do you ever worry about saying the wrong things, doing the wrong thing? I get so tired of, of, at the end of the day, having to go back and apologize. Or or do you have, are you heartbroken over decisions that others have made? Idiotic choices that they've made. That's not going to happen in heaven. John the Revelator put it this way in the next to last chapter in the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And, I, and the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Doesn't that sound good? Aren't you tired of living in a world where there's death, and sorrow, and crying, and pain? The Bible says it's not going to be that way forever. That there is a coming a day, a wonderful day, when those things will be no more for the believers. The last Sunday of the year, December thirtieth, this year, we usually take that Sunday to look back over the year and remember those loved ones, those those saints of God who have gone on to glory. And we're going to do that again this year. And for us, you know, for our family, we're going to think back. It was, it was just on January fourth that Carla's dad. uh uh, went to heaven so we'll remember all those folks but the point is that sunday the focus is saying the grave doesn't have the final word in heaven there's no more death anybody been sick this year in heaven there's no sickness no wheelchairs no oxygen tanks no walkers no cancer no heart attacks no hearing aids no 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 dialysis machines no alzheimer's no hospitals No migraines, praise the Lord. No high blood pressure. No cholesterol problems. None of that. There are plenty of days when I can relate to, to, to Paul's dilemma in Philippians. When he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, that will mean more fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for me, for you, that I remain in the body. Paul is saying, I'm doing what the Lord would have me to do. And it's wonderful, and it's great, and it's good, and and lives are being changed, and Jesus is making a difference, and we're affecting lives, and that's powerful. But... There's a day coming, a glorious, wonderful day coming when I will be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Paul didn't sing this song, but he could have sang the song, Song that I sang a lot when I was growing up. Uh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when, I, when, I, when he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. And I want you to know you can all be in heaven. That's the plan. That's the joy that we can have. Lord, thank you for making heaven a place that is real and that we can be at forever and ever with you, a wonderful place that you have prepared. Thank you, Lord, for this great day. Send us from this place in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.